It's time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. Greg White here, and I have spent my career starting, leading, deploying, and investing in supply chain tech. So we take a shot and talk founders, execs, investors, and companies in this hot industry. If you want a taste of how tech startup growth and investment is done, join me for another blinding Tequila Sunrise. Okay, so I don't want to cage the tiger here. So I want to ask you about, you've had some other experiences at major brands like Apple. Yeah, yeah. So if you juxtapose your experience at Apple with, mm-hmm. with your experience at Amazon and what you learned and you clearly have internalized deeply, anyone yeah. who can turn 14 principles into 300 plus actions, tactics, whatever you call it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you've clearly internalized that very deeply, which is your style, right? I mean, you are the most thorough person I know by an order of magnitude. So I appreciate that whenever you do something, and I think people need to understand that whenever you do something, you are all in, I mean, all the way in. So when you think about, I I know this will be a deep answer because when you think about the comparison of Apple to Amazon, what stands out at you in terms of culture or or, you know, whatever you want to call it, war stories, whatever, what just jumps out at you that is similar or distinctly different or just even just memorable? Yeah. So a couple of things, and I, I want to just caution a little bit the, you know, remember that, you know, it's not a static thing, right? So Amazon, when I was there is different from Amazon now, Apple, when I was there is different from Apple now, right? So, but there are some things that, you know, I, I, I do think are durable, Right. So, you know, Amazon has this customer obsession idea and they have an interpretation of it, right? Right. And that, that interpretation of it is very metrics driven, right? And Apple it, in certain circles, also very metrics driven. I'm not saying they're not, right? But they're, they index a lot higher on expressing that through the ease of use ideas that you see all the time. And like the customer experience you know, they will say customer experience as opposed to customer obsession, right? So, and the customer experience is everything you would see, hear, touch, right? Even smell. That's the user interface, right? Yeah. Um, And that's a very inclusive notion of user experience or user interface. Like literally, you know, anguishing over the design of a sound or anguishing over, you know, is that the right radius for that curve on the case of that product or anguishing over, maybe getting fired over, you know, you were supposed to eliminate the last screw that was visible on the outside of that laptop case and you didn't, there's still a screw. I still see a screw, right? So, you know, and you could say that's over-indexing. This is during the Steve Jobs timeframe, right? So, but even if you think it's over-indexing, there's lessons there, right? You know, either these things matter or they don't. And sometimes people think they do. And sometimes people think they don't. I think in a lot of cases they do matter. So I'm, you know, I probably, and I may not be the right person to criticize that, right? Because I tend to over polish what I'm doing, right? And well, when you say I'm thorough, that's because I'm, in, I'm obsessively over polishing sometimes, right? And, well, well, and sometimes it's not necessary. Let, but let's, let's compare the culture when Jobs was there to the absolute debacle of Apple Maps yeah. when it when it first came out. That was careless. It was stupid, right? Yeah. Frankly, I mean, that it was so far from the mark and people lost their jobs over it and should have, frankly. Yeah. But 
I don't think you can, it's, um, you know, I don't think you can create a user or, or a customer experience that is too refined, mm-hmm. that is too well thought out. What you can do is you can create one that is too refined for you to afford or mm-hmm. too refined for it to be practical, mm-hmm. right? Of course, everyone would love to be Apple, but if you don't, but if you sell to people picking up their first first cell phone out of the dirt in a in a bodega in who knows where, that does it have to be that refined? It could be, yeah. right? it, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. But but I think when you compare it to when you compare it to the excellence that they showed, even back in the day when you and I were kids, when they were still Apple, Macs, and, and that sort of thing, Apple IIEs, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. I think when you think about that versus the Maps issue, you can see a distinct juxtaposition there. And they didn't even, not only did they not meet their own standards, they did not meet their, their customers' standards. So... Yeah, better a stumble. Sorry, in their case. Yeah, it was definitely a stumble, and you know, there's back to a little bit to the move fast and break things a little bit, right? So the move fast and break things that was a little move fast and break things, and that's not really the Apple ethos generally, right? So Apple's ethos is break things, actually. You know, right? Remove your customer's favorite connector from the device they're about to buy. Right. That's, a, that's an Apple thing to do. Right. Mandate. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of, you know, get rid of those old floppies. We're not, we're just not doing it anymore. Get rid of the, the CD drive in, in the laptop. We're just not doing it. It's in our way. We're not doing it. Right. If you got to have one buy an external peripheral, move on. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're not afraid to break things. Right. But that kind of breaking things is different from, you know, launching something that really wasn't ready. And I think, you know, yeah. I think the launch of Apple Maps, uh, I, you know, this is not my area at the time, so I don't want to say what was going on. Well, I'm saying it as a consumer as much as anything, right? I, pr- I could easily have screwed it up myself. You know, I think that, w- that decision was not driven solely by readiness. That was driven in part by the need to be ready. Yes. Which was driven by other factors. Yes. Right? And right. so you can see what happens if you allow yourself to get into a situation where you're driven by the need to be ready. We have to be ready. Aren't we ready yet? We have, no, we have to be ready. That's yeah. very different from- you Drive yourself to violate your own principles. Right. right. So you cut the corner that you find out later, maybe you should not have cut. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't want to talk a lot about the details of that because that wasn't the area that I worked in. And so some of it would be supposition yeah. and people might think I actually knew, but you know, there, there's more going on that meant the eye, which you can probably actually find in the news stories anyway. So I'm sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but at other things at Apple, so, you know, people used to, they don't ask me this as much anymore, but they used to ask me all the time, oh, you worked at both Apple and Amazon. Like, you know, what's that like? Right. And, you know, the, the, there's many things to compare and contrast, but I would usually talk about how, you know, they were actually both for me, intense environments, right? They're both intense. Very. And Amazon is notoriously so, and to the point where, at least when I was there, it was a little bit like a full contact sport, right? And especially in my role where, you know, I didn't have my little fiefdom and I just had to defend my fiefdom. No, 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 no. I had to go get things done by all the people who owned all the fiefdoms. Right. It's a different job, right? And so my experience is maybe different than some other people, right? But 
you, if you thought there was full contact sport going on between people who own different stuff, well, I had sport with all of them. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, my people and my team had to see me go into battle over and over again to navigate, like, how are we going to win? Right. We, we need something from over there to win and off I go. Right. So that was sort of a lot of my role. There was other parts to it too, bringing, you know, scaling up the team and all kinds of other stuff. But uh, a big part of it was just navigating, right? Like, how, do we, how do we find out what we need in the first place? And how do we make really sure we get it? And in the end, we actually, the, my partner on the target side said to me, and I recently spoke to her again, actually, um, she's off doing other things now, but uh, we had a video call and, you know, she said to me at the time, you know, it was the smoothest launch they'd ever had with Amazon. The launch when we, you know, we, as Apple would say, we put up covers, we did the switch and pulled down covers. That's not what we called it back at Amazon, but that's the, the, the Apple term. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, we pulled down the site or put up covers the precise minute that the plan said we were going to. And we did all the things. And we had two rooms running. We had the room with just us chickens in it where all the things could be spoken about openly and bluntly. Mayhem, mayhem ensued. Quickly. If yeah. mayhem happened, we, all the mayhem would happen there. And then we had the TAM, technical account management people, on a call at the same time, two doors down, with the target partners. And, you know, I, of course, had to run them back and forth between them a bit. But we did have some, shall we say, bowel liquefying moments towards the end where things were not actually coming together the way they should. But in the end, we managed to get them going. And all the target people saw was, hey, like we're checking it out, the, the staging. It's all looking great. It's looking great. It's looking great. And we're like, you know, an hour ahead of schedule or whatever. It's looking great. It's looking great. You know, and me, yes. And when we meet the go, no, go, when it's the time, the minute of when we said we're going to do the go, no, go, we will make the go, no, go call and not before. And, the you know, and after that, no, go, no, go, when it's the minute to put the covers down again, we'll put the covers down and not before. So they saw me be rigid as you've come to know me about, you know, this is the plan and we're doing it, you know, but behind the scenes, you know, I'll, there was a chunk of time where, yeah, we were just ahead of schedule, no problem. Right. Uh-huh. And there was a chunk of time where it's like, oh man, something big just went wrong. And, you know, we were scrambling. And it's a good thing that I stuck to the plan because it afforded us the ability to absorb the problem that happened that was unanticipated and solve it before anybody knew anything and still qualify as the smoothest launch ever for target at Amazon at the time. Very impressive. You know, and then that's not just on me, right? I mean, that's the team. Yeah, of course. You know, and the way the practice, so with practices, right? We did dry runs where we were all in a room and we're talking about like, this is the launch plan. And here's a, it's a timeline. It's like launching a rocket actually. Right. You know, and we're doing this on this time and who's doing it. It's this person and who's checking it. And it's this person. And if something goes wrong, what do we do? Like that's a whole, it's a script. Right. And we, we rehearsed it multiple times. And so just like in, you know, sports or music or other things, rehearsal. NASA, which we just got finished watching right before we did this. Right. It was amazing. We were watching it. Yeah, that was super cool. Yeah, it was very cool. I'm, I'm like super excited to see more photos, and I'm excited to see the helicopter thing, and like all that stuff happen. Yeah, yeah. But I'm. It, you're right. I mean, I think it. You know, the best way I, I heard somebody say the best way to be completely genuine, completely flexible, completely 
open, right, in, in your approach is to be completely scripted and to know that script so intensely. There are, are so many examples of people who just, they just know the playbook yeah. so well that a disruption to, to the game is not, is not a difficulty for them because they know it's a variant of this thing over here, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really powerful. All right. Well, so I want to get to, I want to get to, you know, if a non-business topic to wrap this up, but before we do that, before we get to a non-business topic, I want to ask you two questions that I ask every guest. Oh, here we go. What really has a lot of your mind shared right now? What's top of mind right now? And, and what do you think it's most important that our community take away from this discussion that, that we've had? So, you know, my interests are diverse. So what, to pick one thing that's top of the mind is a little difficult. I might need a noodle on that for a second. All right. Uh, you, can pick, but, you can pick a couple, I suppose. Yeah. How could I stop you? <laughs> I think the takeaway that I would like people to have is related probably to kind of the stuff we were talking about, principles and stuff like that, right? So, you know, the first principle of the principles is to have principles, right? So I would want people to take that away. Like it does actually matter. And, you know, I'm guilty sometimes of being a little bit like, yeah, but I don't want to like think about like the, the wordsmithing of a corporate mission statement and like values. Like, I don't want to do all that stuff. I remember being like grumpy when companies I was working for were so focused on that and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm sure it's possible to overdo that. But when it comes to like the principles level stuff we were talking about, whether you adopt the Amazon ones, whether you already have some and you just want to scrutinize them, make sure they make sense and they're and they're serving you. The first thing I would say is have them. If you don't already have, if you haven't thought about it, there's a lot of content out there. It's not like there's a, I mean, there are some right or wrong answers maybe, but, you know, there's not a single right or wrong answer right? There's, there's an answer that's good for you. And so I would encourage people, it's worth some time, right? To figure mm-hmm. out, you know, if, you know, if we had one or two or eight or 12, I, I don't think you should have 12, by the way, but most people, right? right. But if we were going to have some, what would they be and why those and not others, right? I would spend some time on that, come up with some answers, come up with some answers that people around you can also be on board with. The socialization of that stuff is actually really important yeah. for adoption, um, so that's one thing I would say. And the second thing that I would say is this thing that we, we danced around it a bit. We talked about it maybe in a couple of specific terms, but those principles will not save you. They will not make or break you. What will make or break you is the stuff we were talking about before of what you do. Do, right. And I really, if, I, if people were to take away one thing, right, Greg and Gregor said, I got to do and I got to do right, right? right. So- that I would want people to take away. And, and so when you're building your principles, think about, well, what would it look like to do this? What would it look like to not do this? How would we know the difference, right? And develop, because it's the things that you actually, you do that will form ultimately the culture, right? Because you're doing things that are around the principles and that will form a culture and that culture can go on. But it can't if it's just a poster on the wall right? You have to be able to point to these things and you have to use them in meetings. You have to reference them in meetings, right? You have to praise people. Oh, you just did invent and simplify. And that's exactly what we needed for this product because we were off in the zoo somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, work them into the way you do evaluations, work them into the way you hire people, promote people, you know, call it, like I said, call attention, praise people. If you have some kind of a recognitions, right? Uh, frame your recognitions in terms of those things. It's real work, but it's important work. 
And so that's kind of what I would say, you know, how to operationalize these things. If it's not operationalized, then it's really just another mission statement that you, you know, you write it, you move on, you feel good about yourself and, you know, you move on. And that's not the kind of thing that we're talking about when we talk about these principles, right? So that's the, it's two things to take away. That's okay. I think that's fine. Those are two very important things. Yeah, those two. Yeah, and I mean, I think about that stuff all the time, I guess. So that is sort of top of the mind. You know, I'm always involved in other stuff. I don't necessarily want to talk about all the other things that I'm into, but, you know, I'm always interested in how you make decisions on anything, right? And so, you know, I do do a little bit of, you know, angel investing and other stuff. And so out of that, I've come up with different way, you know, ways that I think about investing. And a lot of times, you know, my, my Amazon principal bias kind of shows through and how I do pretty much everything. And so, you know, if you do decide to adopt these or something like them, these ideas can be used for a lot of different things. Yeah. If you are making angel investments, you can use some of these in your due diligence right? as you're thinking about, well, how are they doing on this and how are they doing on that? If, if you're investing in the stock market, you could use some of these ideas in how do you, you know, how do you frame your screening process, right? Yeah. You how could, do you, you evaluate a company as an investment in as any an case, right? So, you know, you have to squint a little or sort of broaden your mind a little, but these, some of these principles and some of the practices can still be stack ranking, for example, can be used in any decision process. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, the nice thing about if you do spend some time with these principles, either, you know, on your own or with one of my friends or with me, the ideas behind them are actually very useful across a broad range of topics. So I think maybe I would leave it at that. Stack ranking seems particularly valuable for our next topic. Okay. So you and I have known each other for a while, right? Mm -hmm. A long time. Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say a long time now. Long enough. And we've worked together at least three times, Mm -hmm. right? Between Mm -hmm. uh, Blue Ridge and Radial, Hero and Trefoil. And and we continue to work together all the time, either formally or informally now. Yep. And I came to know that you were quite the connoisseur of tequila. And I, I can't imagine that we would ever have an episode of Tequila Sunrise with a tequila connoisseur and not talk about tequila. So let's okay. do that. So sure. first of all, I know that you have a very refined palate when it comes to tequila. And there, you know a lot more than most any of us do. And you really opened my eyes to tequila as a sippable drink. Mm-hmm. Right, not just a party foul. So, yeah. first of all, how did you get into tequila? Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. So, actually, you know, I was not into tequila until I was working at Apple, and some of my Apple friends, some of which, by the way, I knew from back in. So, in college, I was I worked for Next Computer, Steve Jobs' company, Next Computer. Oh yeah, of course. I was their campus consultant for the University of Michigan. Right. And so I came out to California and met some other people who were campus consultants and things like that at the time. And one of them also worked at Apple when I worked there. And he worked there for a long time and still does. Wow. Uh, but so some of those people were like, oh, we're going up to Tommy's. And ha- you know, what's Tommy's? Tommy's is the premier tequila bar in the universe. I'm like, is that what is Tommy's Carnes and Tequila now? No, this is uh, Tommy's Mexican <laughs> restaurant yeah. up on. Uh, 24th and Geary, I think, uh, outside of San Francisco. Okay. I mean, San Francisco, but outside the downtown area, right? And it's, you know, it's this old, you know, family Mexican restaurant that the father, you know, created years and years and years and years ago. Mm -hmm. And his son later 
you know, up to their game in terms of the bar to like be the tequila bar, right? So he's got every tequila known to man. Very and, cool. Uh, yeah. So Julio Bermejo is the proprietor of Tommy's. I don't know that he pres- if he's proprietor of the entire restaurant or just the bar or like, I don't know how the family does that, but maybe the whole thing. I don't know. But the tequila bar for sure. And, you know, it's this tight little space. It's like Mecca for tequila. Like you have to go. Now, COVID prevents us going, like Margarita Day is coming up on Monday. I emailed Julio, like, hey, if you're doing anything, I want to be there. I know you might not be, but like, I'll be there. And they're not doing anything really, so. Oh, that's a bummer. Because you're, yeah. you're in Palo, not, not Palo Alto, you're in San Jose now, right? Yeah, I'm in San Jose these days, yeah. Yeah, so, so you could actually make it over to Fris- San Francisco. I know we're not I, to call it Frisco. Well, before COVID, I was go from time to time. And, yeah. yeah. So anyway, the uh, people would go up there like, and I didn't know what any of that stuff was. So, I mean, I knew about tequila that it existed, right? But I didn't know anything about how it's made or like why you might care and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so if you go there, you can actually join the Blue Agave Club. And there's a little card where there's all these names of these tequilas on there that you're going to get punches on, right? And Got if it. you get through a certain number of them where you've had them either you know neat or in a margarita or something, then you get your masters in tequila. And there's levels above that. Hmm. And that was really cool, right? And and so I learned uh, how about, about how tequila is made and some other things, and started to just have fun with it, right? So, but still, I have a sweet tooth, so it's still mostly about the margaritas. And I think it was probably uh, it was a few years later. I was up in Tahoe with the guys that I worked with, and it wasn't even about tequila. It was about it might have been whiskey or something. It was some other spirit, right? But one of them was like, hey, because I'm don't, i not really into that, right? And so one of them was like, look, if you drink it like this, it's a, it, you don't take a shot. You don't just slam it. You drink it like this. And he taught me what I've taught you mm-hmm. about how you drink a highly volatile spirit. And it's so a Share complete, that. Share that. How you, sure. how you drink that. So if you have your glass with there's nothing, nothing in my glass, right? The idea. <laughs> nothing uh, in there's, there's actually another step you don't know. So first you want to smell it like you would with her wine or whatever. Right. And yep. the trick is to smell it both nostrils because they differ in which one's active and with your mouth open because you get the air to circulate better. And so it'll circulate the different volatile wow. compounds better. Right. So I wouldn't have thought to do it and I didn't use to smell it that way. I'd smell things, but with the mouth open helps because yeah. that gets more deeply in. Right. When it comes to the actual drinking itself, the trick is to teach yourself to take a small amount only typically, and make sure you can do it where you're not bringing in any air at all, none, which is a little difficult because most of us, what we do is we take a sip as the glass comes away, we bring in some air already. Mm -hmm. You've already spoiled it, right? So the trick is to learn. It takes practice, but not too much. And you can have a friend watch you and tell you, I saw you doing it. (laughs) So that's what I do when I do it. I do classes on this, right? So I have people watch each other, but anyway, no air. And then you want to do it where you're not in, you know, you don't have an emergency to breathe yet, right? You, and you want to swish all that around everywhere you can get it inside. And you want to be able to swallow it with still enough time that you a few seconds can pass even after you swallow it before you feel like you need to breathe in, especially with tequila, but even other spirits. If you do it that way, it's a completely different experience. And all the different notes that other people will talk about, oh, the hoity-toity little notes about, oh, you got notes of tobacco and like whatever. Yeah. You'll, 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 you'll catch your version of all those different notes and how it starts out one way and finishes another way. You'll never catch that stuff because there's so much alcohol in it unless you let it do that. So I always tell people they can 
you can feel the tequila flower it kind of you know all throughout your head when you do it that way you also and, use the term explosion so you know if you did it wrong because you get oh, yeah. that sort of explosion where you get that really harsh yeah, everything lights up and it's like you know just alcohol right yeah yeah so that's that's how i teach people to do it you know technically there's no right or wrong way to do it because if you're enjoying it whatever right and uh, so I'm very value neutral about a lot of that stuff. When I do tasting events, there's no right or wrong answer to the, to the way tequila tastes. I had one person say about a high-end tequila, you know, I don't think they even meant it pejoratively, right? But they, they, they said dirt. That's, that's what I got, right? Yep. And well, that was probably their version of earthy. Earthy, right? yeah, you know, right. which is a earthy. euphemism for it tastes like dirt. Right. <laughs> you know, or PT, right? If you're talking about a whiskey, that's an right. earthy dirt-ish smoke plus dirt kind of flavor, right? Right. So anyway, uh, and this one was one that I would have described as peaty, having tried very peaty scotch. Yeah. So you got into these tequilas. So tell tell folks about this 10 kila event that you have done, because I think it's just fascinating. It's really cool. I did a tequila. We may have done a little bit of tequila tasting at your house. Just a little. Once. (laughs) And you do make a fantastic margarita, by the way. And thank you for it, there's there's two magical ways to do that. But thank uh, you for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but tell tell folks about ten kila. I, I think it's fascinating, and 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 I think when we're all released again, I think a lot of people will be dying to enjoy a ten kila event. Yeah, and I can hold one anywhere somebody can provide the housing of the tequila because it's hard to travel with it, right? Yeah. So if I can fly to a place and we've arranged for the tequila to be there and it stays there when I leave, yeah, you know, I can do it as part of something else, like you know, as the as the mixer at the end of some other event or you know whatever, just for grins. Right. But um, if you bring it, it's bootlegging. Yeah, it's bootlegging <laughs> right. and it's a lot of cost, right? Yeah, so yeah, no to, doubt. To, to buy hundreds of dollars of tequila and then leave it behind or to, yeah. because you, if you get away with taking it one way, you won't get away with taking it the other way once it's been opened, right? No doubt. So there's some logistical problems to actually doing it. But if you solve the how does it get paid for it and where does it live kind of problems, then it, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. So tequila came about actually when, you know, people some people find out that I know a thing or two about tequila and someone got the idea that they would invite me to an event they were holding and I would bring some tequila. And, you know, it, sometimes it takes me a while to process all the implications of something. Right. And I turned to, I mean, it was maybe just even a few days before the event and I, it was on my mind. It was on my calendar. It's like, whatever, you know, and, and my wife is one of my wife's friends or something like and, you know, I was playing it through in my mind. I was rehearsing in my mind, like, you know. As I would expect, yeah. Like, okay, so, like, what, what's this going to be like? And the more, like, that day, I just remember I was in front of my computer and I was like, hey, that's only a few days away. Well, what am I, what's that going to be? And I realized, oh, I'm the entertainment. <laughs> like, there's an event and people are coming and I, you're you know, the I'm, talent. <laughs> I don't normally think of myself as the entertainment, right? Right. <laughs> but I started to just get this sinking feeling, like, oh, I literally had that thought. I'm the entertainment. And then I went and talked to my wife. I said, "Honey, I was thinking about that thing we're doing, and I think that maybe I'm the entertainment." And she looked at me like, "Of course, dummy, right?" But, mm-hmm. you know, but that has different implications from, "Hey, I'm going to show up. I'm bringing tequila. Like, go, right?" And so I was like, "Well, what am I going to do?" And I was like, well, 
I could select some tequilas from my library and that, that's for sure going to happen. Well, how many tequilas? And then I was like, well, what if it's 10? Then it can be 10 kila, right? <laughs> so I quick and I bought the domain, right? And I made up like- Because you couldn't up. just buy the tequila. You had yeah, to buy bought, the domain. I bought the domain. I haven't done anything with the domain. We've already talked about how thorough you are, yeah. haven't we? Because well, I was like, yeah. And, you know, I made up sheets and it's 10 kilo with a little TM on it. And like, you know, just I had a lot of fun with it. Right. So I made and I made a sheet where it's like all the different ones we're going to do and uh, room for their own tasting notes. And I just printed them out and I print out a bunch. And, and I just did an event where like literally I brought in these tequilas in like this big black crate with my wife helped me carry it out of the trunk in there. We set them all up on the table. People loved it. I actually was using at the time, not Mighty Bell, Mighty Networks. I, cause you know, I wanted there to be some social element. And so I created a Mighty Network on the Mighty Networks platform. And then you, you like, I made people download the app and like sign in. And then I made them like take a picture of them with their favorite tequila at the end and post or yeah. whatever. But, you know, the, one of the things about me is like, I'm not very good at managing like the community side of something. Like if I, I can manage to do some of the things to do, but it's not really my space. It doesn't come natural. There's always a million other things to do. And actually it's not where my magic is. Yeah. My magic is really inventing things, right? It's structuring things, thinking about things different on different lines than other people think like that's kind of where my magic is. And so you know, I don't do a lot with social media, even if probably I should, just because it it takes away from what I'm actually good at, right? So anyway, that's kind of how the first one happened. It was called, the event was called Cinco de Drinco. Uh, that was the event they were holding. And it was on Cinco de Mayo. And like I said, I was the entertainment and that's how I invented Tenquila. And then, I, you know, I, I did it again. We didn't do it last year, of course, because, you know, we couldn't do much of Cinco de Mayo other than drink at home plenty. So, but I've done it other times and I've done, I've done a not structured version of the same event, like tasting things that when people come over and stuff like that, I do almost the same thing, just less structured. But for the second one, I actually made like a keynote presentation with the pictures of all the bottles and all the stuff. And I ran it on the TV behind me while I was at the bar. Of course you did. So it was just was cycling through like all the different tequilas we were doing. You could, oh, we're doing that one now. And you could see it go by. Right. So. Of course. Uh, you fun with it. So, so tell us about your tequila library now. I mention often your, I think you call it contract signing tequila, Tears of Urona. Oh, you mentioned it often, really. Okay. Yeah. Tears yeah. of Urona. Uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember how I learned about Tears of Urona. I was reading something somewhere about tequila and somebody had made this statement. Tears of Urona is like this really rare, hard to get, whatever, whatever. Something hard to get, challenge accepted. Right. So, <laughs> I found a bottle of it and ordered it online. I'd never ordered tequila online. It's not a thing for me, but uh, it's like, well, I mean, push this button and it could show up. Right. So, okay. So I did that. And, you know, my usual price point isn't in the two to $300 range. And that's that tears of your own is kind of in that range. Right. Right. So I don't normally buy those tequilas. You can get really great tequila without doing that, even though I really like some of those. And so I decided, okay, it has to be special. It has to like, I'm not allowed to drink it until I sign a contract and you were a participant in one of those. Right. Um, at least one. So yeah, it's a very special tequila. I, I probably can't tell you the whole story. I, we, any of these things that you want to have links to, to put in the video later, we can yeah. put some links together. Yeah. Have sure. to help out to provide links to whatever we talked about. But anyway, Tears of Urona is a very special tequila. It's very rich. It's an extra Añejo, uh, very craft made kind of tequila. And uh, it's named after a sort of a mythical story from Mexico. 
Right. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of what Tears of Girona is about and why it's contract signing tequila. There's only a little bit left now. A lot of contracts. So, anybody who would anybody who would like to sign a contract, I get to drink another another shot of that. So <laughs> other stuff that's in my library, I I mean I have I made a list of a few of them here. Um, we had a pretty attractive bottle in the pre-show, so let's see that. Oh, you want to see that one? Okay. Yeah. So this is Classe Azul Reposado. Yep. A beautiful ceramic bottle. And actually, <laughs> I was I here it is. Uh, maybe they've been doing this all along and I haven't been paying attention, but inside the box that has that bottle, they got this thing that basically is telling you when you're all done, make it into a flower pot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got it. Drop I'll show this to my wife after the show. Yeah. Um, and after I finish the bottle. So this is interestingly, and again, it depends on what part of the country you're on, what the price point for these things is. Right. But here in California, 130 to 150, if I remember right, somewhere in that zone. Okay. And I haven't had a bottle of this in a while. I, I finished my bottle of it and it was actually hard to come by for a while. And I've been eyeballing one at my local grocery store, which normally you wouldn't think of normal grocery store having, right. but they have one, they had one in their liquor case, high in liquor, high in liquor case for a while. And I was like, if I ever really have to have one, I'm going to go get it there. But I, I was at like just total wine and more the other day. And it's like, they had one, which they hadn't for a long time. I like, all right, I'm done. I'm having it. Right. So, and I figured I needed to prepare for today. So, Classe Azul Reposado is, again, it's a very sort of craft tequila made with a, I mean, they got special yeast that they use for the fermentation and a lot of standards. You can, I mean, their website is kind of fun to look at for that stuff, but they're very particular about how they make it. And what happens as a result is magic. I described this to you in the pre show as kind of the elixir of the gods because. You know, a lot of times you think, okay, when you get to the extra añejo, that's when things just really just turn amazing. So this for is, our for our community, tell them kind of the progression of of tequila, right? Repo. Yeah, there's four main ones, right? So the first is blanco, which is just Spanish for white. It's clear, and it's very little aging or no aging, um, right. and typically not if it's aged at all. It's typically not in any kind of wood barrel kind of situation, right? And the thing about the Blanco is it it's comes right off of the distillation process. And again, it sits in a barrel briefly, typically. But the flavor profile usually tends to have a lot of the flavor of the plant still in it. Right. And because it's also not aged, it tends to be a little harsher. Not always, actually. But again, this is just typically. If you were to drink that and drink a Reposado, typically the Reposado is less harsh than the Blanco. Uh, Reposado is the next grade where it's been in the barrel for a few months. And typically they're wood barrels and they're uh, usually burnished with flame, you know, former whiskey barrels or bourbon barrels or something like that. And so they pick up, right, that the flavors from the barrel. Right. Uh, from having been rested. And the color sometimes as well, right? Yeah, the color is, is a very important part of that, right? So it tends to like this amberish color. Yep. Uh, sometimes it's a very light amber. Sometimes a very dark amber. It just depends on a lot of the, the way that they make it. But the reposado is just Spanish for basically rested, right? So it's rested in a barrel for a few months. And typically, you can't be a reposado if it's been in the barrels for more for more than a year. So just under a year can still be reposado typically, Got but it right. might be as little as three months. So anywhere from three months to almost a year. And then uh, añejo, which is Spanish for aged, right, is the next grade, and that could be you know, anywhere from a year to three years sometimes for how long it's aged. And then extra añejo is basically anything after that. Yeah. 
and sometimes you've got come, you know, people will use a different type of barrel, right? So Don Julio is a brand that I like. They're a mass market brand, but they're kind of a good representation of pretty much anything they do. And a lot of times I just like to have Don Julio Reposado in a margarita and I'm happy already. But they sometimes will do a special edition where it's the Reposado, but the barrel, there's something special about it, right? So the one that I have now is been uh, a rested in a Lagavulin barrel. Wow. So that would come, it's that would seem peaty. to be pretty peaty. It's very peaty, yeah. <laughs> which is not my normal thing. I don't normally like that, right? But I wanted to have it so that I could share it with people, right? Yeah. So um, that's, so those are the four things. And so again, typically you would expect as you get kind of up in those grades, it's not hundred percent, but generally speaking, they would get kind of smoother-ish, right? And, you know, pick up more of those flavors. And this Reposado is superior to many other things, at least for my palate, right? Yeah. To pretty much anything else that I've had. Wow. Now, again, not everybody has- Really? Anything else that you've had? Uh, well, I mean, I like other things for other reasons, right? But, and we could talk about some of them, but so this one, it's so smooth. It's almost even syrupy, which again, is either good or bad, depending on your taste. Right, your whatever taste, you right? like. Right, but to me, it's almost even like crossing that line or almost crossing that line to like, like that's why I called it the nectar of the gods earlier when we were in the pre-show, right? right? And the other thing is super, 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 super smooth and very heavy for me on kind of what I call the caramel note. Some people call it butterscotch, right? But very heavy on, for me, the caramel note, very smooth, nectar of the gods, smooth. God. Right? I mean- Getting just so everyone understands, getting that kind of review from Gregor is high, high and rare praise. So, so what is the most important thing you think that people should know about tequila? Uh, there may be a couple. So the first of course, is there wouldn't be one because then it wouldn't be you. So, well, <laughs> so usually ahead. there's three. We so we covered the third one already, right? So what are the grades of tequila, right? Yeah. Right. So we covered that, right? But there's two other things, and then maybe maybe a bonus. So maybe there's four. I can come up with a new number three. So the first is it's not for shots. All right. And now people do do people too do do like Patron shots, and Patron is a legit tequila. And I actually, so I did not know that Patron was good until. <laughs> Time had passed mm -hmm. because I avoided it because people, you know, people always do shots of Patron and like, and I'm purposefully not trying to have people do shots and I don't right. really do shots. That's not what I do. So, you know, I'd much rather have a margarita or a sipping tequila. I'm not into shots. If you give me a shot, I'm likely to sip it. Right. So it's not for shots. And I guess, again, it's not illegal. You can do it if it pleases you. Fine. Ha go for it. Have a good time. But a lot of times what people are doing shots of isn't actually tequila, Jose Cuervo. Now, Jose Cuervo, by the way, the company does have an actual tequila. Right. Uh, uh, Reserva de la Familia, I believe, is an actual tequila. And by actual tequila, what I mean is tequila itself, the name, the word tequila by Mexican law or regulation or whatever, can only be made in a very specific region of the country. Jalisco. It's the tequila region, Jalisco area. Yeah. There's actually, I think two places where that the, the region technically goes into a neighboring region just barely. Yeah, that's right. Right. And there's a highlands and a lowlands. And I don't want to talk a lot about that, but uh, that's actually one of my items. People do talk about that and it might be important, but for me, I just like what I like. 
And so I'm aware that there's highlands and lowlands, but I'm very unlikely to be able to tell you like, oh, this one's a highlands and this one's a lowlands. Um, I do know that Fortaleza is the opposite of G4 in terms of highlands versus lowlands, but I can never remember which one is which. And that's wrong of me, but oh well. Right. So is uh, that is that the third point, the highlands, lowlands thing? So yeah, for me, it doesn't matter, but it might matter to you, and that's okay. But to me, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's a thing. So the but back to tequila the as a spirit, right? So well, we talked about how to drink it already, right? So it's not for shots, it's for drinking like we talked about. Right. And margaritas are okay. I, I have to tell you they're okay because I do them and people tell you what's okay is what they do. So right. what I do is okay and you can do it too. Um, I use very high-end tequila in margaritas and you can too. And I'll tell you this, much like you can have an amazing cup of coffee at home for the cost of a McDonald's coffee. Mm-hmm. You can have some high-end coffee at home for the cost of a McDonald's coffee. You can have a high-end margarita at home for the cost of a well drink at your local bar. Yeah. Right? So you can buy a $50 bottle of Don Julio 70. I know somebody who has a bottle of that and you can make a margarita out of that, even though you shouldn't. Right. And it's going to be delicious. It is delicious. I can vouch for that, especially by itself and neat. And it's delicious in a margarita still. And so you should try both. Yeah. But don't do it with, don't do it with your hundred dollar tequilas, but go ahead, you know, 50, $60 tequila, go ahead and try it. Just do it right. And doing it right means don't buy some high fructose corn syrup mix either fresh lime and agave nectar to, you know, mixed to your taste, fresh style. And, or if you're lucky enough that you can get Tommy's margarita mix. Yes. That Tommy, mm-hmm. if your if your BevMo or total wine or whatever has Tommy's margarita mix, go ahead and get that. If you don't want to be bothered it tends to be 12, $13 for a 32 ounce bottle of it. It's refrigerated. That's a clue. It's not shelf stable and mm-hmm. that's good, but it's nothing but water, agave nectar, and fresh lime juice, much like they do at the bar, although they don't put water in it at the bar, but yeah, but it's made by that guy, Julio. So those are the two ways to make a margarita, do a fresh style or with good. Now I have occasionally used another mix when I couldn't get Tommy's. There are some mixes I will occasionally use, but uh, I tend to buy the ones that don't have the high fructose corn syrup. They, they have to have agave nectar in them that, that limits how many brands that qualify. Because if you're gonna buy, if you're gonna put something in with your fifty dollar tequila, it needs to be appropriate for a fifty dollar tequila. Yeah, I agree. And wow, only you could drop that much knowledge on tequila, and I really appreciate it. And I'm sure that our fans will too. So coming to you is going to be some tequila sunrise swag, which we are about nice. to produce. Very cool. Yeah, so, I'm excited. Yeah, I would be proud to have you wear it, even if it's just to mow your yard. If you even mow your yard. I'm Wait, not, you live in a townhouse. I'm right? not I'm not mowing a yard. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Those years are long past. So, okay. So other than contacting you to mow their yard, yeah. somebody might want a fractional CTO. Yep. I don't know if you're open to full-time gigs. They might want some executive coaching or to learn more about your systems. They might want some advice on tequila. I have a feeling you better be prepared for that. <laughs> How do folks... How can our community connect with you? What's the best way to get hold of you? You know, as I said before, probably LinkedIn is a good way to get my attention because I don't get so much noise on LinkedIn that I ignore it. I do get a lot of emails from people that I don't recognize that sometimes go by the wayside because they're like, I don't know who that is. I'll give you a clue. If it doesn't say in mail at the type at the top of the message, it's probably safe. 
Yeah. So a lot of people successfully read me that way. And that's what I would encourage. And people who get to know me, of course, will, you know, will have my direct email after that. Right. But the, the, the way to get introduced to me, the two best ways are one, get introduced by somebody I already know. That's you in this case, right? Yes. If they, if they know you, they should just reach out through you. You'll get them to me. No problem. Yeah. And if they don't already know you, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm a public personality on the internet, more or less. You can find my website. Um, you can find my LinkedIn really super easy. And if you, if you message me on LinkedIn, I'll try to be good. Uh, as long as I don't get too swamped um, at getting back to you and uh, you know, making the connection. Also, well, first of all, thank you for that. So if, if you don't hear back from Gregor soon, just let me know, reach out to me on LinkedIn and I will fun, funnel you through. He'll pester me. Yeah. Hey, 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 answer this guy. Yeah. So first of all, big thanks. I, I, one thing we didn't even point out is you are a published author. You have written several books about yeah. technology. So you can also find those Gregor Purdy, authored by Gregor Purdy. Just look on your favorite book website and yeah. you can find a slew of those. So Gregor, thank you. I have a feeling this might wind up being like three episodes. I really think this has just been a hell of a ride here and I have really enjoyed it. I don't want to get rid of any of it. I just feel like it's all too important. So well, I've had a blast talking to you as always, right? I, you know, we don't normally do it on camera, right? right? Sometimes we do it with other people around, yeah. but not typically on camera. So it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for asking me great questions and give me a chance to just spool away. So thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's valuable stuff and I, you know, I've always enjoyed working with you. I love your style. It's just about as anyone who knows me, they can see that it's just about the opposite and we make it work so well. And I think if there's anything I want people to take away from this, it is find someone who you can work with, who you can, who you really can blend with, but is so much your opposite, who has complementary or even contradictory superpowers and use that to better yourself to better your company, your initiative, whatever it is. I just think it's such a huge opportunity. So Gregor, thank you for joining. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, look, man, I know I'll talk to you soon. We'll see mm-hmm. how many people reach out to you. Don't yell at me if 10,000 people come see you. I promise not to yell. And thanks again. And thanks to everybody for watching. It's, you know, it's, it's fun to have you watch. <laughs> thanks, man. Take care. See you. Tequila Sunrise is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain featuring the people, technologies, best practices, and key issues in the industry. And hey, listen up. To build your supply chain knowledge, listen to, get this, Supply Chain is Boring, where Chris Barnes connects you to the who's who that got supply chain where we are, point us to where we're going, and take us to the next level. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up quick insights you can use as inspiration and conversation starters. Our Logistics with Purpose series puts a spotlight on inspiring and successful organizations that give first, give forward as their business model. If you're interested in transportation, freight, and logistics, have a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvidrez, and also check out Tech Talk, hosted by industry vet and Atlanta's own Corinne Bursa, supply chain pro to know of 2020.
where Corinne discusses the people, processes, and technology of digital supply chain. For sponsorship information on Tequila Sunrise or any Supply Chain Now show, DM me on Twitter or Instagram at Gregory S. White or email me at greg at supplychainnow.com. Thanks again for spending your time with me and remember, acknowledge reality, but never be bound by it.